where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down again with Paul Scott, Advisor and Director at Digital Village, General Manager at Evergreen Digital and co-author of the book Beyond Agile, How to Run Smarter, Faster and Less Wasteful Projects. Welcome back, Paul. Darren, great to see you again. Thank you for inviting me back. Now, I, I wanted, because last time we were talking about uh, call centres and the opportunity that that provided for marketers to really understand how their customers were feeling and thinking about brands. But uh, this time, I'd really love to focus on this amazing book. And, and you co-authored this with Andrew Walker, Beyond Agile. And I love the concept of Beyond Agile because I feel sometimes that a lot of organisations are stuck in Agile rather than going beyond Agile. So true. Tell me a little bit about how you got <laughs> to write this uh, this book. Yes. Well, it's um, it, it goes back to um, when I started working with Andrew in 2016 uh, in a software development business called Three Weeks. And Three Weeks is a very unusual software developer of its time. Uh, in that it um, adhered to the principles and the values of Agile, but did not use any of the uh, the rituals and the, the methods that have sprung up around Agile in the last 20-odd years. What I mean by that is we didn't do things like, we didn't have scrums, we didn't have scrum masters, uh, we didn't do stand-ups, we didn't do retrospectives, but um, the business adhered to the philosophy that is basically inherent in, in Agile, and I'm sure we'll come on to it later. Um, and oh, sorry, Paul. Um, yes. Paul, sorry, but yeah, if you don't have scrums and scrum masters and stand-ups and retrospectives, and, and can it possibly be Agile? Because yeah, every organisation that we've uh, dealt with that has embraced Agile all point to Spotify of and course the, you know, and and that this is what agile is. It's about all those rituals. It's about the language. It's about the process. Yes, and Isn't and it? look, I'm not saying that you can't uh, adhere to the values and the principles of agile by doing those things. What I what I am saying though is they too often they get in the way of the original principles, and people forget what it was rich, originally about, which was about producing working software. Um, focusing on interactions rather than processes, um, you know, dealing in customer collaboration rather than contract negotiation, and responding to change rather than having a set plan. Um, and what happened when people started uh, developing these frameworks and methods around Agile was it began to dilute a lot of those original values, and it caused people to stop behaving in an agile way, not delivering the outcomes that were intended by creating that those um, agile med, um, values and, and principles. You know, that the whole philosophy was set up in 2001 by a bunch of guys who got together in Utah um, at a retreat and 
you know, the, the reason why they were together was because they, had, they were becoming really frustrated at how slow and ineffective project management techniques and development techniques were in the software industry. You know, 95% of projects don't deliver on the original objectives and either overrun on time or on budget. And the reason why that happens is the same reason every time, because they're not engaging with customers. They're trying to scope out the whole project end to end from right at the outset and, and working to a very rigid plan. And they weren't delivering outcomes that customers needed and wanted. You know, by the time they got to the end of the project, the customer's needs had changed and they hadn't worked out how to uh, adapt on the go. So what these guys did was to basically sit down and work out how can, what are the things that are going to prevent us from achieving a successful outcome for, for customers and, and users? And let's focus on just addressing those things. And they came up with these four um, core values and 12 principles that, that sit around it. And if you read it and think about how that can be executed, you don't need Scrum. You don't need any of these rituals to actually achieve success. What you need is to maintain integrity to those original values and principles. And if you can do that, you will produce great outcomes. And that's what we did in three weeks. We did over 260 projects uh, in the space of four years. And every single project um, exhibited the same characteristics. We delivered it in half the time that the customer expected, probably about a third of the budget that they expected, and always produced a successful outcome. And we did it just by rigorously adhering to those philosophical principles. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, everyone knows that Agile has its uh, foundation in software development. But it's interesting the number of areas that it's been sort of expanded into, including marketing. And But you wonder sometimes because, you know, a lot of processes are still quite linear and quite waterfall. And then to try and um, put an agile process on that uh, could be counterintuitive or even counterproductive. And, and there are still plenty of examples where those agile principles don't really work that well. I mean, people, you know, try to adhere to, to agile principles in this something called the, the, the scaled agile framework or safe framework, which, you know, the objective behind safe was to, 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 to create scalable agile. Um, and again, you know, my observation would be having seen how people have tried to apply that, that framework, it, it doesn't work, you know, very rarely, does it actually deliver what people expect at the end of a project? Um, but but it's not to say that it can't be done. You know, there are these nowadays in, in our industry, people talk about continuous development and um, con- continuous integration, which is really a, um, a scaled version of Agile. It is adhering to many of the principles of Agile um, that were set out in 2001, but it's bringing it more up to date with the needs of large enterprises and recognizing that there are aspects of it that just don't work when you're having to deal with uh, a multifaceted, you know, multi-departmental organization that's got a lot of different stakeholders who may be using the same product for doing different things. So 
there are ways of bending the rules, but but it is it comes back to those four principles. If you can actually work to those, uh, you can produce meaningful outcomes for customers. Yeah. I, I'm um, I'm even aware of some major organisations which have said that they've embraced agile at every aspect of the um, of their operation, and I quite sort of cheekily wonder how their finance department's going <laughs> if they're operating agile. You know, do they, do they have a stand up every morning where they look at all the invoices that they're paying for? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm not sure how it works in every single department in an organisation, um, Darren. But again, it comes back to, to, to you know, how people interpret things. Um, uh, it, it's, it's fascinating for me. When we were writing the book, we were we were looking at different methods that had developed over the last 40-odd years. And, you know, it's interesting how Waterfall has actually sustained, really, as a primary method of software development for the last 40 or 50 years. I mean, it really hasn't changed dramatically. And it is still a valued method of doing large-scale product and software development. Um, but even in 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 waterfall, I, you know, I've seen organisations adopt a lot of the agile principles of, you know, getting close to customers, trying to focus on interactions, you know, being more responsive to change, even though they've got to have a long, you know, a, a detailed project plan to work to. So yeah, you can. I think you can sort of pick and choose bits of agile to make it uh, work in different environments, but just don't call it agile. Call it something else. You mm-hmm. know. I think it um, it becomes particularly difficult when you've got uh, two organisations, such as an agency and a marketing department, is is my observation. Where on one side it's very much waterfall with stage and gate approval as they move forward, and on the other side you've got an organisation trying to work in an agile way, and it's a complete misalignment across the two, because one is driving this sort of they they interpret agile in its most literal sense of you know being flexible and and adjusting to change, whereas the other one is very much a traditional uh, project man, you know linear project management waterfall and stage. That's right. And w- one of the observations um, you know we made when we were putting the book together was looking at organisations who've been trying to use agile and failing, and um, there was a common factor in that. Um, they didn't, although they were creating teams of people to work in an agile way, the teams were too big. And, mm. and, and, I've, and I suspect this might happen in the, in the marketing domain as well, is, is that um, it, agile really only works when you have a, a small core team of people who are multidisciplined and can um, work on the core purpose of the project. And I'll give you an example. In the book, we talk about um, uh, alpine eng- uh, alpine mountaineering. So mountaineering is, is was renowned for, for its need to have large support teams in order to get, you know, mountaineers to the summit of, of Mount Everest or, or wherever. Um, until I think it was around about 2000, no, it was probably around 2004, um, uh, a very brave chap questioned the, the need for there to be a large team of support people to get somebody to the summit of a, of a large mountain like, like Everest and said, why don't we actually um, 
train a small group of people to be able to do a number of different things that will enable us to to move faster and to to reach the summit without compromising you know our, our own lives and succeeded in doing so 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 i think he proved that there was um, a way of approaching a you know a traditional problem in a different way and working with a smaller team to achieve the same outcome now we applied exactly that principle when we were doing software development. We used this thing called fractal model, the fractal model, which basically says the shortest lines of communication are between three people. If you can work in a team of three people to deliver an outcome, you will work faster than a team that involves five, seven, nine, 10, 11 people, because you've got the complexity of the communication in that larger, larger team. So when you apply this now to, to marketing, you've got to think, okay, so if, if I'm going to put together an agile marketing team, what are the core disciplines that I need to have in that team? What's the minimum number of people that you can pull together to create a, an outcome uh, in a marketing sense? When I was doing the research for this discussion, I came across that um, uh, website that talks about agile marketing, and they describe a team of 10 people as being the minimum mm. size of the team. That's simply too many to be able to move in an agile way. That's why you need to have a morning stand-up. And by the way, the morning stand-up is going to go on for about 40 minutes because you, you've got 10 people, all of whom have got to give an update. And it, it just slows down the process. And uh, you know, if you can't work with a smaller team, you won't be able to work in an agile way. It'll just slow everybody else down. It's a really good point, Paul, because one of the f um, things that we constantly get fed back to us especially where marketers are engaging their external agencies in an agile process, is that they spend a lot more time in meetings, stand-ups, they're often yeah. called, because they, it's the only way of being able to communicate with all of the stakeholders. You know, when you think about just getting a campaign, you know, an advertising campaign, a TV campaign, to where you've got a media agency, you've got the creative agency, you've got the production company, you know, already you've got three groups of people working with the marketers and there's probably two or three from each yes. of those Yes, that would feel the need to participate in that conversation. So, you know, your team's just blown out of the water. Yeah, and I, I don't have the answer to this, but if you do, if you do want to think about how you can create uh, an agile marketing team, that as a first principle, you've got to try and, and keep the team number down to three. If you can keep the team number down to three and say, okay, well, we recognize we're not going to have all the skills to do everything in this team of three, but then have each of those individuals be able to have interactions with other people who bring those other disciplines, then you've got to, you do stand a chance then of beginning to act in an agile way and to have your team perform in a way which adheres to those original principles. And that's absolutely achievable, but it means that uh, people need to give up their sense of control or that you know everyone has to participate to know exactly what's going on. Indeed. And, you know, again, to, to give you a, an example, in our world, in the software world, we had multiple problems with customers. When we first talked to them about working in this team of three, uh, we'd say, look, we're going to have a team of three people. We've got a wrangler who is basically a product manager, a project manager, um, a tester, and... Um, uh, and a specialist in our method. 
And then we've got two full-stack developers. So full-stack developers can develop basically end-to-end -end solutions, the front-end uh, fancy bit and the back-end processing piece. And our Wrangler would interface to our customers' uh, single point of contact, who we would call the one. So the one is basically the person who's been delegated by the customer to act on their behalf to make every decision that's needed, right? Mm. So they're delegated to, they're given authority to, to act on behalf of the business to help us with, you know, prioritizing what features and functions we're going to develop, uh, which customers we're going to go talk to, et cetera, et cetera. They become that single point of contact. And if we couldn't, if our customer couldn't point to that one person, they'd say, oh, no, no, you're going to need to talk to IT, you're going to need to talk to compliance, you're going to need to talk to our finance team. We'd say, we can't do that. We can't operate that way. If you can't give us a single point of contact, our model doesn't work. You might as well just go to another, any other software developer and work with them. Yeah, because, I mean, that one, the one, can still go back into the business of course and get they can. feedback. Of yeah, course it's not they like they're taking the whole responsibility. No. But what you're saying is it's the coordination and the time that it takes Correct. for you to then navigate your way around the organisation just to get what the one should be able to deliver. Precisely. And and if, you know, if, if it can be applied in a marketing sense, what happens is you suddenly realise that the... the the pace of the project picks up. Um, you know, we talk about cadence in software development uh, terms. So cadence is about how fast you can actually get a production, a production piece of software into the hands of users. So if you're doing Agile really, really well, um, you should be able to get two or three production releases out per day, right? Mm. Now, any, any software developer listening to this will say, that's insane. You can't do two or three software production releases a day. Well, actually, yes, you can if you've got the setup right and you've actually got the relationship between our Wrangler and our One. You can do that. But it's a, it's a change of working practices that would not normally take place. And I was going to say that the big thing that's screaming in the back of my head here is this is a huge cultural change for most organisations. Absolutely. Where there's this yep. sense of, you know, hierarchy um, and, and uh, uh, approval um, processes that are multiple points of contact and the like. Yeah. Um, you know, it is, it's a massive cultural shock to, to a lot of large enterprises. Um, and I, I'd be fascinated to know... How, how agencies in particular who have tried to adopt Agile with their customers have got on? What have they seen as being the challenges? Because I, I bet the culture thing is going to be a really, really big issue. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's interesting because there are agencies that have come with, from a software development background mm -hmm. and there is, you find Agile exists in the actual development, but they're the interface into the client is where it struggles. And yep. sometimes even the interface into the rest of the agency, it struggles. Yeah. You know, that it does exist in a, in the culture and the function of software development and can, but it's at those interfaces all the time where we have trouble. I'm wondering from your perspective, because you've mentioned a few things. One is speed, you know, that Agile has the ability to speed up a change process. 
you're also uh, utilising less resources to achieve more, so productivity is another one. And also imagine that there's a cost aspect associated with it as well because uh, you said before that what percentage of uh, software projects don't actually fulfil their need? That must be a huge opportunity cost loss. It, it is. Um, uh, but I think there's, a, there's another factor that we haven't talked about, which is, uh, is, is really material to successful um, agile anything, and that's the competence of the individuals who are doing it, right? So when we were in uh, three weeks, we, we set about trying to train uh, developers and wranglers in our clients. So basically taking our method uh, and our approach and our interpretation of Agile and turning it into something that could be learned by um, people in our clients. And what we discovered very quickly was that um, the, the, the kind of benchmark that we had set in our organization for the quality of developers and wranglers was so high that it was really unrealistic to expect um, any of our clients to have the same level of competence in the, those individuals. Not to say that they couldn't get to that level, but it's the difference between being a good club runner and being an Olympic runner. You know, that there is a difference in performance and capability, which, um, you know, can be, the, the gap can be bridged, but it's going to take a while to get there. So what we had to do was to, to start thinking about how can we, um, not be dependent upon, you know, the developers being in the top 5% of developers in, in Australia. And what we did was to, to kind of break down some of the responsibilities in that group of three to a, to a larger group. So we ended up actually training up a group of five or six people instead of three so that we knew we had capacity to be able to, to train up people who weren't quite at that Olympic level yet. Mm. Um, so so the, the competence of individuals actually undertaking Agile is incredibly important because they do need to learn new skills. They need to learn new levels of skill in order to be able to fulfill the same kind of thing that a, that a pure Agile team can do. Um, and again, I'm not sure how that translates directly into marketing, um, but I'd be interested to know if, if there is a model there that would you know, keep the integrity of the team of three, who are the core team, um, but then allow you to build capability around that to ensure that they can still deliver these um, iterations and project outcomes in a very, very rapid way. Well, I've, I've got two uh, case studies that I'll share with you from real life, and okay. I'd be interested in uh, The first one was a quite a senior CMO who uh, was telling me how they'd absolutely... Uh, knocked Agile on the head, you know, really sorted it out. And that the campaigns or the work that they do with their agencies in the past, which would typically take, you know, 12 or 13 weeks, they got down to six weeks. And the way they did that is every morning they would start the day with a stand-up or a meeting of everyone um, and that they would just be sharing and reviewing the progress of the last 24 hours. Yep. Now, my point was all they'd really done is taken the natural pace of a linear process and sped up the pace, you know, whereas before there would be normally a weekly meeting of 
sort of updates or to go through the next gate. They were making this every 24 hours. Um, and when I asked around uh, resource utilisation, they didn't want to know about it because apparently there was a big problem from the agency <laughs> with how much time it took on their part to attend all these meetings. Is that agile? No, it's not. Um, it, it, it's an accelerated way of working, but it's not agile. So, so I think that the, the main difference being, um, you know, we talk about small iterations. We talk about um, the ability to, to release working versions of software on a, on a very rapid basis. You know, having this cadence of releases is, is, is fundamental to it. Um, the bit that, that may be missing, I don't know, is, is the, the interaction with customers. So I know that um, you know, data analytics is a foundation of anything that might be described as marketing agile or agile marketing, and for good reason. Um, the ability to be able to extract useful information from the data that you've got is going to have a profound impact on how you then start applying that to your marketing campaigns and how you then get the feedback from customers will determine how you make changes and, and move on. So I think um, what you've described isn't agile. It's, it's just speeded up a process. All it's yes. done is to speed up a process. It doesn't necessarily adhere to any of the, the principles around Agile, um, because it's not really focusing on interactions rather than processes. It's not necessarily delivering a, a, a valued outcome rather than focusing on the documentation. It, it's just doing it quicker. And this is where, you know, as you said before, uh, where ritual and the, the labels associated with the Agile ritual often masks what's actually happening underneath. It makes it look like it's agile because this uh, CMO referred to daily stand-ups. Yeah. As a, and, and therefore, ipso facto, it must be agile. <laughs> it's, it's not agile. But look, I mean, if it produces a good outcome, who's to say it's not a bad thing? I mean, it's a good thing. But well, let's know, let's but, let's yeah. not let, let's let's <laughs> you know. I think we need to look more than the uh, this anecdote that I'm sharing. Well, look, you, you got me because um, this you you already touched on the second example I wanted to give you, and this was very impressive. It was a very large marketing department for a telco. They had traditional marketing over there, churning out campaigns on a program in the traditional way. But there was one small group to one side called the performance marketing team. And it's mm. interesting you should say the team of three because there was someone uh, focusing on data analytics, both what was happening and, and what the responses and, and the rates were. There was one focused on content and messaging, and one focused on media. So it was a team of three. And their job was to acquire as many mobile um, phone customers, plan customers, mm. as they could for as, as fast as possible and for the lowest possible cost of acquisition. They were their, uh, their KPIs. And so they were literally working in cycles of putting things into market, messaging and content, testing out different uh, media options, and then analysing the results 
And when they got positive, they would then use that to learn in the next cycle and do more and test more and more and more until they were absolutely... In fact, the marketing team hated them, absolutely hated them because... <laughs> Senior management was going, we're, we're getting more customers and making more money out of this, this team, this performance marketing team, than we get out of all these people sitting over here. And yep. they kept saying, but we're responsible for brand. Yeah. And the performance yeah. team were going, well, we're building brand. Everything <laughs> we say is part of the brand messaging. We're just getting lots and lots of customers doing it at a very increasingly lower cost. And, and you, you have just described another characteristic that we came across time and time again whenever we were working in large enterprise customers, which was we were the most unpopular team of software developers in the room. And what you've just described there with a the performance marketing team, I've also seen with some um, colleagues of mine at a company called North South Advertising. I don't know if you've come across them. Um, they're paid search um, specialists and they exhibit exactly the same characteristics that you've just described in performance marketing, which is small team of people focused on delivering outcomes, very clear charter, um, constantly iterating and learning and producing phenomenal results um, and not very popular with the rest of the marketing team because they're doing stuff that's working and they're con continually impressing their, their peers and their, their bosses because they're actually delivering great outcomes. Mm. So, so your example in performance marketing is the closest thing I've heard of to being true agile in marketing. And what I particularly liked about it was that it was an ongoing process. Like they yep. never believed that they would actually achieve you know, so this always on, always testing, learning. And the other thing I liked about it, which you often, they didn't fall for the trap that a lot of marketers do, mm. which is if something didn't work, they were happy to just stop doing it yep. and move on. Yep. There was none of this attachment to a particular strategy or tactic. If the numbers didn't say didn't prove that what they were doing was effective, they would very quickly drop it and move forward. So there was this sense of constantly moving forward towards finding the better result. And that's a tough discipline because you know a lot of um, people struggle with that, that that ability to not become emotionally attached to an idea or a, or to just hold a belief um, when it's proven to be unfounded. Um, and, and, you know, that's a very, very valuable commodity, in, particularly in marketing. Um, if you've got a group of people who are prepared to just ditch something they've been working on for the last week because it's not working, then you, you know you're onto a winner. Mm. Actually, um, on reflection and, and in this conversation, I, I suddenly realised you had three very different types of people in that team as well. You know, the data analyst was very much about looking at the numbers and trying yep. to find the insights. The content person, they didn't own the brand communication, but they were very much aware of it mm. and worked with that. But they were constantly looking for what are the things that I need to say and how do I present them? So they were still in that area of creating messages. Mm -hmm. Whereas the media person, again, was probably quite 
numbers and performance focus because they were looking for people and looking for the right environment and the right number of people to make it scale. And they also had this quite complementary but very aligned focus on the you know pushing the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and I, and I think that uh, that's a great combination as well because th there's no overlap. Um, and each of them can individually interface to other parts of the business in order to be able to gather insights that they perhaps wouldn't be able to bring on their own. Mm. Um, so this, you know, strong communication is another characteristic of really good quality agile is, is um, and often face-to-face -face, by the way. So face-to-face -face communication, either with the end user or with customers, um, and the others that you work with in the team is a profoundly important aspect of, of good agile practices. Well, it's interesting because I think that's where they failed. Oh, really? Yeah, they were so into what they were doing that you know they they interfaced with sales a bit, you know, just because sales were leaping off the back of what they were doing, but you know, largely marketing and and the other components within the business weren't were held at arm's distance because they saw them as getting in the way of what they were doing rather than facilitating it. it it's a big risk you know i think when you introduce agile teams into a traditional environment whether that be marketing it finance or or sales is there's there is a sense of um you know who are these people why are they being given special attention you know what's different about them um, it, it, it can be quite challenging to begin with because there, there is that kind of sense of, oh, are these people are going to take our jobs away? There are only three of them and there are 20 of us. Does that mean they're going to make us redundant? Um, that happens quite often when, you know, true agile teams start emerging within organisations. It can generate a, a bit of suspicion and mistrust. Now, you said that uh, the idea of, you know, this small team's very focused. From that point of view, you could actually develop uh, brand or marketing strategies in an agile way. Of course, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's any. I don't think there are boundaries in the marketing domain um, around adoption of agile. I think you pointed out. I mean, you know, how you would apply agile principles in something like manufacturing or in well, in fact, you can in manufacturing, but in in finance yeah. is is a little bit challenging. Um, other than saying, you know, if if in finance you you adopted um, the view that that you know, you would have uh, finance people working in teams of three, uh, and that you would encourage open and honest communication, and that they would be responsible for producing uh, innovation and change in that uh, domain, then maybe yes. But um, it, mm. it's it's not applicable to everything. And yet, uh, a lot of organisations have almost embraced it like a religion. Look, it's um, it's a, it's a shame that. That should happen, but I mean, I think that that's that's often the case, isn't it? You know, with um, with methods and tools that work, people um, tend to become quite obsessed with them. That the, the if you go onto YouTube, I mean, there are literally thousands of videos and um, and posts to do with with agile, with various um, uh, consultants and uh, and gurus suggesting that they've come up with a new way of adopting agile and building it into enterprises and small businesses. Um, it, it's probably a factor of success, isn't it? It's one of those kind of deficits that happens where when 
something is successful, everybody wants to jump on the bandwagon and come up with a, their particular spin on it. And it's and it sparked a whole industry of, you know, trainers and developers and, uh, you know, people who are consultants in, in Agile methodology and Scrum um, and the like. And Lean, and lean as well. Of course, let's not forget Lean. <laughs> no, no. Don't no, forget no. Lean. We cover that in the book too. <laughs> I, won- I wonder if... Some of what's driven this is those rituals, though, you know, because in a way they're a visible and very tangible uh, expression of doing something different, even though, to your point, they're not actually needed to be agile. They've become almost like collateral well, to they have, agile. But it's, it's a very tribal thing, Darren, isn't it? I mean, you know, people like to belong. They like to be part of a club. They want to be, you know, in with the in crowd. They want to be able to associate with others who understand, you know, what's good about it and what's bad about it. I mean, the IT sector is, is brilliant for this because, of course, you know, there are programming languages and there are methodologies and tool sets and um, and ways of working which which encourage people to develop their own language um, around how they how they um, collaborate and work with each other. So um, it gives people a comfort factor. I think you know being able to to use words that um, are easily associated with what they're doing, um, which doesn't necessarily mean they're any good at it. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, who doesn't want to be a scrum master? I mean, it just sounds impressive. Oh, yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yes. Once you've once you've learned to be a scrum master, you're you're the master of well, the universe. Uh, the book is amazing in that you you've managed to well, um, you and Andrew have managed to take these principles and actually provide them in a really clear way of how you've applied, you know, you applied them to software, but how it's a, a principle driven rather than a, necessarily a framework driven. Yes. And look, Andrew's doing a phenomenal job with it because he, he's, um, uh, he is now taking the principles that we developed around our approach to agile, um, and finding ways to, to get that into the education system. So, He's working with a number of education bodies now to actually build this into the curriculum in uh, in schools and universities. Because um, if we can help young people understand these principles when they're learning to program mm-hmm. and they're learning about computer science, um, there there is every possibility that it will start to emerge in a lot of the working practices in software companies as well. Um, and besides that, he's also Andrew's also working to uh, identify opportunities where we can train up other people in the method. So in 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 enterprises who've got large software uh, departments or software development departments, um, uh, he's going in and helping them actually understand how they can develop and manage those principles themselves. Mm. Look, I would absolutely recommend this book to any marketer who is facing a the threat of being made to work in an agile way by a consultant that is uh, spouting all the words but not necessarily making a lot of sense because I found, first of all, it's not a particularly uh, big book. <laughs> yeah. And, and, we didn't and, have much to say. <laughs> well, no, but, but I read a quote recently that most business books are about one-third insight, one-third just, uh, you know, 
talking about your own experiences and one third padding just to make it seem like it was worth the money that you're paying. So I think hopefully you've cut out at least a third or a half of the uh, the waffle to uh, just fill it with insights. Yeah, I mean, we we want what we were trying to do with the book was first of all just give everyone a quick history lesson on how software development techniques developed over fifty years. Secondly, to to um, uh, share with them um, that the original uh, principles and values of Agile and how we had applied the philosophy and not adopted a method or a framework. And then thirdly, we wanted to share examples where we had been able to apply this because, you know, we did over 260 odd projects ourselves. Um, and we also trained people up in the method in a, in a couple of our clients. But but the the, the proof is in the, the pudding, isn't it? You know, and we, we the, the two big case studies in there for News Corporation and for Monash University, um, where we were involved in multiple projects applying this method really is vindication that it works. Mm. Um, and that you don't need to have a set of rituals um, to to make it work. You just need to to have the intelligence to use the the philosophy that was originally in that uh, that manifesto and apply it um, consistently every day. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's amazing results, and I, and I do believe that it it can work in in marketing. I've seen it work in marketing, but. But but it does take some effort, and um, you know there are definitely aspects of the the agile methodology which will work in marketing, and others that won't. And you just need to be honest with yourself about you know which will and which won't. Well, could you share a, a you know a sort of anonymized uh, example of what would work or what you've seen work really well in in marketing? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, the the only well, the only ones that I've had exposure to are the ones that the guys in North South have been doing, and uh, um, you know they've got clients in the retail and um, uh, mainly the the retail sector. And what they've what they've proved is that you know they focus on an outcome. They focus on very delivering a very clear outcome for the for the customer. Um, they they set up. A, a hypothesis in terms of, of you know what they think the uh, the paid search needs to be focused on, and and they start hitting it, and within you know a matter of days they'll have results that will demonstrate to them where they need to be making changes, and then it's a case of literally iterating on the fly. They're doing it you know two or three times a day, yeah. um, and producing phenomenal results. Um, but it's a you know small team, only three people. Um, and you know they insist on working with one person in the client, the one who will be you know their single point of contact, um, and it works every time. There are people who won't work with them because of the way they work, um, but they're they're smart guys, and they realise that you know if they compromise on their method, they're not going to be able to produce the results their clients want, and uh, they stick to it. So it can it can work, and it could work in a in an in-house uh, team that performance management. Uh, the performance marketing team example you gave is a really, really good example of how it can work within an agency or within an in-house team. They can do. Absolutely. Hey, um, Paul, was this uh, book widely available? All good booksellers, of course. Um, there, there, there's an audio, uh, not an audio version of it yet, but we've uh, we've we've got an ebook as well as the um, the physical one, and um, yeah, it's it's available. 
So it's beyond agile, how to run faster, smarter and less wasteful projects by Andrew Walker and Paul Scott. And I've been talking to Paul Scott today. Thank you very much for coming back and uh, having a further conversation. It's been terrific. Not at all, Darren. It's, it's a pleasure talking to you again. And uh, thank you very much for inviting me back. Okay, so I always ask a question at the end and I've got another one for you, Paul. You have to tell me, where have you seen Agile just go completely balls up? Mm -hmm.